the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our God is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And if anybody can make a way for you, he can. If anybody's worthy to call the shots, he is. And he did. God demonstrates his love for us, even though we're sinners. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. So the first time that I had the suicidal thoughts was in the seventh grade. I, I can recall at one point holding the gun, having a gun and holding it to my head and just wanting to end it right then. Like I was just yelling at myself in the mirror to just do it. Just, and I, I felt what that steel felt like against my skin. It was very cold. My drug use just progressed and progressed, and I actually got using so much that I didn't even want of anything anymore. It didn't, it didn't even matter, you know, life or death. It, I remember getting woken up by a phone call from my mother and she was just screaming on the phone that he's gone, he's gone. And my oldest brother had passed away in a car accident that night before. Um, he was still in active addiction. He had found sober time, he had some years clean and, and was with the Lord and he relapsed and he went back into the life and uh, it ultimately took his life. I spent the next year on unemployment and spending my whole unemployment checks on drugs and alcohol and. Uh, sometimes I just fall on the ground crying. I was an emotional, I'd say roller coaster. It was more like an emotional wreck. It was one year later. It was March 23rd, 2013. I was preparing for his anniversary, and I ended up on a three-day binge. I was just drinking nonstop from the time I got up to went to bed, eating pills. March 26th, I woke up. I hadn't started drinking yet. I was under the carport. I started having a conversation, which I now realize was with, with God. At the moment, I wasn't really... Sure, I was just kind of thinking, but it was a lot about uh, a lot of anger, pent up anger I had with God. I knew he existed. I just he I didn't have any kind of relationship with him. He wasn't for me. He was for other people. I remember being very angry. Like, how could you kill my brother? How could you take my brother? And I was blaming God for it. And God, in this time, he used that time to replay in my head my brother's voice for years of my brother just preaching the word and. God was saying, I, I didn't take your brother. I loved your brother very much, and I gave him every opportunity to turn. I called my mom. She had been saved and sober 41 years herself, and I told her everything going on. She she saw God all over it. I didn't know what was happening at the time, but she asked if I wanted to pray, and for the first time in my life since I was, since I was young, I said yes. Um, I immediately knew something had happened. I didn't know what or uh, exactly what it was. I knew it was Jesus, and I knew it was big and found a local church that Sunday I went for the first time in years walking back in and something was a little strange to me something was just different and I'm looking and it took me a minute to realize it was people smiling everywhere I looked there was just hundreds of smiles I was realizing that these people must have felt what I felt also they had a similar experience with God 
and it was just so awesome. And I, I was just crying my eyes out in front of hundreds of strangers. I'm sober for six days, and I just remember thanking God in that moment that I was home, that he finally got to me. And it has been absolutely incredible ever since. Um, God's bringing me in there, and now also being able to lead the Celebrate Recovery here at Mission Hill Church on Friday nights. And I get to just experience other people getting that same freedom of them coming, they're having their coming to Jesus moments and, and watching their faces light up and watching people set down decades of drug addiction right at the feet of Jesus when he steps into their life. And it's just an absolutely incredible, incredible time. And I thank him every day for my sobriety, but I just thank God for life now. I thank God I have the opportunity to live. Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. To those of you online, welcome to all of you. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Who's going to call the shots? That's the question we're answering today. And I would suggest that is the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. Who's going to call the shots? Everything in our society tells you that you should call the shots, that you're number one, that you're the master of your fate, that if it's going to be, it's up to me. And yet everything in God's word tells us a different story. Sometimes scriptural truth leads us to hard conversations. This is one of those moments. This passage from Romans can be challenging to teach and equally challenging to hear. So I want you to remember the context. This is written by the apostle named Paul. He begins by saying that his descriptor in life, his identity is that he is a slave to Christ. In other words, as he'll say in much of his writings throughout the New Testament, he is in Christ. That's his identity. And really, today we're going to be talking about what defines you. What is your identity? Is it enough to say that you are simply in Christ? But then he also says he's been sent out. So he's got a message to share. And you would expect every time you come into a gathering like this, every time you tune into a worship service at any of our campuses, you would assume that there's a, a message to be shared. And then he says that I've been set apart. He, he describes himself as one who is different from everything else that the world has to offer. And that all goes back to who he is being in Christ. He writes this from the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was known as a wicked city. If you were to think of it today, it could be called Sin City. So, so think of one of those places, uh, maybe like um, Las Vegas in some areas, or, or maybe like some aspects of New Orleans in the French Quarter, or, or maybe some of the darker places that you've been in this world. That's where he was riding from, and he was riding to the New York City of that day. He was riding to Rome, uh, the place where everything that happened in the world would ultimately originate. 
And it's in that context that he gives us this message, um, a message that has an overarching purpose. And the, the purpose is to let us know that if we are to be righteous, that's going to happen as a result of our faith. Theme verses in Romans are verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. Look at this again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the theme of this book of the Bible, Romans... And really the theme of what should be every time you gather as Christ followers in the church is the gospel. So what is the gospel? He, he lays that out in the verse we just read. The gospel is the good news from God about Jesus that has great power for everyone who believes. And it shows us the simple way to be right with God. The very nature of gospel uh, assumes that we need to be made right with God. That's what he wants. Let me take you way back in history to illustrate that. In the beginning, God created everything that was. And in fact, much of your life is going to be determined based on whether or not you believe those first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. So when God created all the that was, he, he then began to create mankind. And as God created mankind, he did so differently than he did so all the other aspects of creation. He created mankind for the purpose of fellowship and relationship with him. But what we know from reading God's word in Genesis is that our great grandparents sinned. And when sin entered this world, it broke the relationship with God. So from the second chapter of Genesis all the way through the end of the Bible, we have a story about what it takes to be made again right with God. What it takes for that relationship with God to be restored, to be renewed. God wants that right relationship, but the problem is, even though God has revealed himself to everyone, and that's what Romans 1 says, everyone knows in a general revelation about God, the reality is everyone is also turned away from God. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, and that we've all fallen short of God's plan, his design. And so you've got this problem, you could call it a conundrum, you've got a God who loves everybody, who wants to be right with everybody. But you've got everybody who's chosen <laughs> to not be right with God. And so the choice becomes, who's going to call the shots in your life to make you right with God? This is a big conversation. So before we go any further, I'd like us to pause and to have a word of prayer. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to say thank you. This is the day, Lord, that you've made. We rejoice and, and we're glad because you've allowed us to gather together, whether that be here at our central campus or at Six Mile or Lake Carroll or whether that be online, on the radio. Lord, you would allow us to tune in to hear from you. And, and for that, we're grateful.
So our prayer is simple. Lord, speak. Give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us what we've not learned that we need to know. Make us more like you. God, give us sensitivity to your truth today. Lord, I pray that as I go forward, my words would be your words. My thoughts would be your thoughts. And that my way would not get in the way. And then, Lord, as a result, I pray that ultimately the greatest miracle that ever happens could happen here today. That someone would begin to know you as their personal Savior, as the one who calls the shots. So thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you, even as we ask all of this again, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Let's read the scriptures. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In this first verse, you see the problem that's going to be addressed. The problem is, what do we do about a dark heart? A dark heart that can take place even with a knowledge of God. My little girl is a tremendous witness. She wants everyone she comes in contact with to know about Jesus. But it's occurred to me that we've we've had to clarify some things with her recently because as she comes in contact with people, she asks a simple question. She'll say this, do you know Jesus? And And here in our culture... Do you know what most people say? Yes. They know Jesus, or at least they know about Jesus. They're not responding in a way we might on a Sunday morning in church where we think about knowing Jesus intimately and letting him call the shots in our life. They're talking about a head knowledge. So we've begun to explain that to Anaya. Think about different ways we can ask that question. Paul's addressing here that it's possible for you to have head knowledge and yet not submit control of your life to God. So how does that look? Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Two words, by the way, that make up one word. You know the one word that comes from those two words? Sophomore. When you think of a, a sophomore in the educational system, you know what those two, that one word means? It, it comes from the word Sophia, wisdom. And moron, which means fool. So a sophomore is one who's a wise fool. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
And they walk around looking like wise fools. Why? Look at verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, here's the irony. What Paul's describing here is a bad exchange. Have you ever made a bad exchange? Sure you have. Anytime you've spent money on something that you ultimately decide that was not worth it, (laughs) that's a bad exchange. And, And so he's describing here a bad exchange. Why? Because he's saying we exchange God's glory for our guilt. While God wants to exchange our guilt for his grace, we've messed up the exchange. God created us in his image. We have God stamped all over us. But what he's describing here is because of sin in our lives, we make a foolish exchange. And we say, no, thank you, God. We would rather do it our way. We would rather have things our way. As a result, our guilt overshadows God's glory. And we're still in need of his grace. You're going to see that word exchange three times in these few verses we read. I would encourage you just to circle it or underline it in scriptures or highlight it because it's going to remind you that, that we have an opportunity to make a bad exchange. And what happens as a result of the exchange? Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Say gave them up. In the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Last week, we learned that that phrase, gave them up, literally means to remove restraint. So I said, imagine I were holding a Waterford crystal vase, a very expensive vase, and I was just letting you admire it. But then I removed my hands from it. I removed the restraints. What would happen? Crash! It would fall to the ground and we would have hundreds of Waterford crystal pieces. When you remove restraints, sometimes there results destruction. And so the Bible here says that God removed the restraints. He gave them up. Look at verse 25. Why? Because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. So he's saying God allows us to have our own way. If you're a parent or grandparent, you've practiced this. You've said, all right, kids, have it your way. Let's see how this works out for you. Usually we do that in a safe enough environment where they might learn a lesson, but not get mortally harmed. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to uh, dishonorable passions. And then he begins to describe those. For their women exchanged, there it is again, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. What is he referring to? Today in our society, we would call this lesbianism. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women And we're consumed with passions for one another. What do we call that today? Homosexuality. Men committing shameless acts with men. Receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there it is again, God gave them up. Say God gave them up. To a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Uh, They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Can, can you begin to see why I say the most important question you're going to ever answer in life is, who's going to call the shots? Who's going to make the decisions in your life of what can and can't be done, what should and should not be done? Another way of saying this, who or what is going to be worshipped as God in your life. You see, what Paul's really dealing with here is the issue of worship. You were created for worship. Remember, back in the garden, you were created to talk to God, to walk with God. That's a void in your life that can only be met by the one true God. But because of sin in our life, we're going to fill that void. So if we're not worshiping God, if we're not letting him call the shots, there are other things that call the shots in our life. What are some of those things? Well, sometimes just our, our opinions, the logic of our mind calls the shots. We do something because we decide it's right. Sometimes our emotions call the shots. We do something because it feels right sometimes we let the situation or the circumstance call the shot what do we call that situational ethics so we say well that's not right all the time but maybe if you're in this setting it's okay and anytime we're doing that we're making a bad exchange because god wants to call the shots in your life Look at those three exchanges they made. First of all, they exchanged the glory of God. Then they exchanged the truth of God. Then they exchanged the ways of God. They did things their way. What do all of these have in common? They're exchanging what they want for what God desires. So the root of the problem here is idolatry. Are there idols in your life? Idols that are calling the shots that God wants to call in your life? Last week, I told you as we walked through this passage that Paul was describing an aversion to the truth. They didn't want the truth, so they suppressed it. That aversion to the truth led to a diversion from the truth. So they stopped listening to the truth because they suppressed it. And then as a result, there was a perversion of the truth. They started doing what they wanted to do. Another way we describe this is he said people ignored God. And then they began to imitate God. They called their own shots. And then as a result, they insulted God. So I want to ask you a question. It's kind of similar to who's calling the shots in your your life. but, But here's a question to help you think about that. Have you rejected the God who made you 
and replaced him with a God of your own making? Is there something else that you've made the God in your life, that you've made an idol? Maybe it's family, your children, maybe it's your career, your status in life, maybe it's your income, maybe it's what other people think about you. What Paul's trying to describe here is that when we displace or replace God in our life, it takes us down a dark path. Remember, he says their minds have become dark and it results in detrimental consequences in our life. That's why we need the gospel. That's why what we do here is so important because the world is a dark place. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.